the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. There's a famous Farside cartoon by Gary Larson that shows a man walking along a street and approaching um, a booth as though he's shopping for something. And in the sort of booth is a man who appears to be the salesman, and he's surrounded by a group of antelope. And as in the world of the far side and uh, the demented mind of Gary Larson, the, the antelope are all standing up like humans, so they're tall antelope. And if you look closely, one side of the antelope, one side of the salesman, the antelope are all smiling. You can see their teeth. They look, they look sweet and slightly cherubic and angelic. The other side of the antelope, they're making faces. One is sticking his tongue out, and they're, they're up to no good. You can just tell looking at them. You may have guessed the punchline by now. But the salesman looks at the person shopping and says, Well, I've got good news and bad news. Get it? G-N-U. A new is a type of antelope. You got it? Uh, it, it takes a little minute. I, you, know. you wait. Two o'clock in the morning, you're going to wake up bursting out laughing and not know why. It's going to be because you got that. You know. This gospel today is a little like that. It has good news and bad news. It has a mixture of the two. There are blessings and there are curses, or if not curses, what the New Revised Standard Version calls woes. Scripture contains what sounds to us like the well-known beatitudes or blessings, the the good sayings that we so often uh, see cross-stitched in a grandmother's kitchen. The beatitudes are those famous sayings offered by Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, at least in Matthew's version, Matthew's gospel. And we'll hear those beautifully sung in a little while during communion. And so after we deal with the the difficult sayings of Luke, we can get sort of the the blessing upon blessing of Matthew later. (laughs) We typically read Matthew's um, full-fledged beatitudes um, at high holy days, sometimes when we're giving thanks for the life of of someone we've known and loved, or or sometimes on All All Saints Day that gospel is appointed. We give thanks for all the blessings that give comfort and encouragement and remind us that God intends good for us, no matter how hard life might be in the moment. But in Luke's version, the one we just heard, the Beatitudes are fewer. Matthew gives eight, Luke only gives us four. And then Luke puts with it the four woes. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. 
In today's gospel, Jesus is not on a mountain. Notice he's come down from the mountain. He's been on the mountain praying with his disciples, but he he comes down and, and Luke makes a point of saying that Jesus is on level ground. He's on a plane. It's as though in English, Jesus is leveling with us and with his followers, as though saying that, um, yes, the promises are good, but along the way, there are going to be some pains. The pains are sometimes all wrapped up before, during, and after the promises. All week I've been struggling with how to approach uh, today's readings, especially today's gospel, in a way that, that does them justice, that, that conveys the hope and the goodness that God offers uh, while not shying away from the cost of following Jesus. I'd sort of forgotten my quandary. And then I saw a painting. The end of last week, I was able to get down to Washington, D.C. for a couple of days. And uh, I went to the National Gallery. And while my thoughts were a long way from preaching this sermon and even a farther way from uh, this week's readings, I walked around a wall into a gallery and then, boom, was just absolutely dumbstruck by this enormous painting. It's by the 17th century Spanish painter Bartolomé Murillo. It's almost 8 feet by 9 feet. It's enormous. And the painting is unmistakable in its subject. It's the return of the prodigal son. It was painted for a a charity, a, a brotherhood charity in Sevilla, in their chapel. And this painting with others were meant to to encourage the volunteers in this charity to do good works. to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to, to, to claim those who had been forgotten. And so this Brotherhood of Charity in Sevilla would, would care for travelers and the sick, and it would bury those who had no one to bury them. It did all sorts of good things. And so the message was unmistakable. Do good, and you'll know these blessings of God, these blessings that are pointed to by the Beatitudes. Like any portrayal of that story of the, the prodigal son, the return of the prodigal, the, the painting by Murillo shows the son in rags. And then the father, along with the servants, are about to drape over the returning son new clothes, these, these rich-looking, colorful, plush clothes. A happy little boy is bringing in the fatted calf, <laughs> And there's even, it is Spanish after all, there's a little puppy jumping for joy at the return of the prodigal. But we know the complications in that story too, don't we? If you remember that story, the story of the prodigal is itself a a story of blessing and woes. The son initially takes life for granted and runs away. He he lives only for himself. He brings all the woes on himself and finally returns home broken, empty, in need, in touch with his need, need for a stranger, need for a family member, need for a servant, need for God, need for anyone or anything that can help. The father is there who could have withheld his generosity from the son, but but he doesn't. And the elder brother is there, sort of at the edges of the scene, who continues to resent the mercy of the father and the repentance of the son. 
It could have been a different story. The son who returns could have stayed in a place of pride or arrogance and never found the humility to ask for help. And so the woes are real. Just as Jesus says so clearly, Woe to you who are rich, you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, now you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. That's what their ancestors did. But overall, that story of the prodigal, like our faith, is is one of blessings. The other scriptures for the day point to those same blessings. That first reading from Jeremiah contains language of blessing and cursing. And yet notice that it's for the real world. Jeremiah says, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Um, Jeremiah is not giving advice for a rainy day or for life in some distant future and certainly not promising that things will somehow get magically better in an afterlife. Jeremiah is saying instead, now, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. Right now, here and now, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Psalm 1 supports this same idea of of blessing coming as we walk in the way of the Lord. Wickedness happens when we fall into some other way or become self-consumed and forget God. And then Paul's letter to the Corinthians puts a kind of cross-shaped exclamation point on the necessity of choosing Christ here and now in this life. The cross is either made up, a made-up notion that might give some a little comfort as they imagine the end of this life and the beginning of another, or, as Paul puts it, Christ has been raised for us. He has been raised, and so already, here and now, the benefits, the power, the blessings of resurrection begin for us now, and then simply continue into the next life. Because of the resurrection, we are empowered to face down fear. We put increasing trust in God. Because of the resurrection, we take the long view. And we know that sin and death have been defeated once for all. It has already happened. And so when we naturally stumble here or there, we say we're sorry. We allow the Holy Spirit to dust us off and pick us up again. And we keep on going. Because of the resurrection, we can take our place in those stories like the one of the prodigal. Whether we're the youngest child who's squandered some of God's gifts and needs to turn and return home, or whether we're the older child who's so blinded by resentment and the desire for our fair share that we miss God's blessings, or whether perhaps we're called to act with the mercy and the grace of the parent, who offers forgiveness and love no matter what's happened in the past. It can help us sometimes to step step back a little and recall that the Gospel of Luke, with Jesus' words of blessing and woe, was addressed to someone named Theophilus. It's the same person that the Acts of the Apostles was addressed to. 
Biblical scholars uh, still wonder whether this was one person or a group of people or Theophilus, Greek for lover of God, stood in for a whole community. But what seems clear both for Luke, the gospel writer, and Luke, the author of the Acts of the Apostles, is that Theophilus was someone who had real social advantage, uh, someone who had wealth and standing and education. And so in many ways, that original intended audience for Luke was someone or some people a whole lot like us. A whole lot like us in the context of our world. We may not think of ourselves as wealthy. We may not have an extra dollar or ten extra dollars. But in the context of our world, we know just how wealthy we are. We are among the richest, the best fed, the best educated. And so the gospel preaches to each of us this morning. The woes come in this life and surely in the next whenever we live only for ourselves and ignore the pain of the world. But the blessings are overflowing. The blessings are also ours to enjoy and share whenever and wherever we live with full humility, with vulnerability, with an openness to God, with need. May Christ help us to be honest with our own neediness, even as we seek to help the needs of others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.